as we're starting a new series this evening all about relationships, but you can put your sick bags away because I'm not doing a dating talk. Um, because we're all in relationships, aren't we? Everyone uh, in some way, whether it's people on our street or people in work or uh, friends, family, we all have people in our lives who we relate to. So there you go, you can all update your relationship status. And the truth is, it's complicated. And so we're going to spend some time in this series exploring what the Bible has to say about relating to one another, asking what it looks like to have godly relationships. Actually taking the time to acknowledge how the church so often can get this so wrong. And I'm really excited about this series because I believe that God cares deeply about our relationships. And I believe that, that, that God has a lot to say to us, his church, about relationships. And I love this Church. I flipping love this church. I've been here um, since Woodland started here in 1995. Um, I've tried to leave a few times, um, and I can't. I just can't leave. I'm probably going to be here for the rest of my life. I love the church. But there's someone who loves the church even more than I do, and that's Jesus. Jesus absolutely adores his church. Actually, the language that the Bible uses to describe the way that Jesus thinks about the church is, is the language of a marriage. And there is a wedding coming at the end of the age where, where Jesus will be the bridegroom and the church, us, will be the bride. And it's beautiful. And there's a lot of work that goes into a wedding. Izzy and I are getting married later this year. Um, and I've been preparing myself for marriage. I've, I've been psyching myself up. Uh, I've been going to the gym. I've been going running. Uh, I don't know what Izzy's been doing, but I've been working really hard. And actually, the church needs to do something similar. The church needs to prepare for the wedding that's going to come. We need to spend some time making ourselves pleasing to Jesus. And so that's, that's exactly what we're going to do. And the way that we do that is by putting into practice what Jesus taught us to do. It's not that complicated. So that's exactly what we're going to do this evening. We're going to spend some time looking at what Jesus said and exploring what it looks like to put that into practice. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 7. Now, for context, Matthew chapter 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is a really well-known passage of, of teaching, and it's where Jesus is teaching his followers how he wants them to live. And as part of that, here's what he had to teach us about how we relate to one another. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do not judge. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus has his, his followers gathered. He's telling them how he wants them to live and how he wants them to relate to one another. And what does he say? He says, do not judge. 
And I don't know about you, I find that a little bit disappointing in some ways at first read. You know, I'm looking for something a bit more like how to win friends and influence people. Three conversational tricks that build effective relationships. But no, all he, all he imparts here is this simple principle, do not judge. And so our goal as individuals and as a church is to be a people who do not judge. Because you see, there's something about judgment, especially in the church, that is so hypocritical. You know, Jesus goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus, when he's teaching his followers how to do relationships well, says, do not judge. And goes on to say that they need to take the plank out of their own eye before removing the speck from someone else's. And there's an interesting distinction, isn't there, here between judgment and discernment, where on the one hand you have judgment. Judgment, I suppose, is standing apart from someone, standing at a distance and looking at them, and, or even a group of people. It's keeping at a distance, it's othering of them. It creates a them and an us. We look at people and we say, oh, I'm so glad that I'm not like them. Oh, you do it completely wrong. And then it excludes people. And then it pushes people away. Whereas discernment, on the other hand, rather than othering people, it actually draws close. When we're discerning, we're actually recognizing our commonality first. In identifying someone else's speck, we first have to recognize that we have a plank of wood. We share the same brokenness. We share the same problem at its root. And actually, discernment can build a bridge and it can remove that us and them distinction. But what's really interesting about Jesus' ministry is that he did point out people's sin. He did tell people that they were not living well and he never, ever, ever did it in judgment. He always spoke to people with a compassionate discernment and never, never, judgment and actually the church should be a place of discernment church should be a place where we are encouraged to live well by one another where we we do recognize our own plank of wood but but we do also help people with their spec we do call things out of people we do disciple people we are trying to live well and we are trying to do that in church but it should never be in judgment Jesus tells his followers not to judge, not to stand at a distance, not to exclude people. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus is still saying that to his church today. He's saying it to us. You see, we live in a society which is polarised. There are deep divisions on almost every issue. It's like we've lost the ability to disagree with each other well. It's like as soon as you say something that someone else disagrees with, 
then you're either ridiculed or you're just cancelled altogether. Nothing more that you say is of any value because of your opinion. But worse than that, you are of no value because of your opinion. And it's in this context that Jesus says to his church, we're supposed to love people, not to judge them. That is surely the great need of our world. And so, so there you have it. There's my preach done, done isn't it? it? Don't, Don't judge. judge. Bish, bash, bosh. Let's, Let's go back and do some more notices. <laughs> or at least it would be. But the great tragedy of our world is that so often the church looks nothing like that. So often, and it breaks my heart, but so often, for all the judgment in the world... People find more judgment, not less judgment, within church. I had a friend at university. He was um, he was one of the only Christians on my course. And um, one summer, I had a conversation with him, and he was absolutely distraught. Um, he had recently come out as gay, and that summer holiday, he'd gone back home, and he told his his family. Um, uh, and his friends at home, and his vicar had said to him, you're no longer welcome in this church. And that would be bad enough if it weren't for the fact that his vicar was his dad. Where are we when we exclude people from the church, or even our family, when we are excluding and judging people and pushing people out of the church when Jesus told us not to judge and to love people. And, and you may well say, well, well Luke, what's your theology on homosexuality then? And I'm just going to say this, I don't know if I have one. I don't know if I have a fully formed opinion. I'm not a theologian and it's a delicate issue. And we have this insistence, this demand within church to, to make big proclamations of faith, have a, a statement of faith on almost every issue. But the problem is so often we're not saying, what's your theological view on this? What we're really saying is, well, what do you think of those people? And so in all humanity and all humility, I'll hold my hands up and say, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know. I wish I did, but I don't. And we won't do this side of heaven. And that doesn't mean that we play fast and loose with our theology. Theology is really important. But actually a decision that I have made in my own life is that when I get to heaven and I get that full revelation, I would much rather find out that I had a few points of correction on my theology, but I had treated the children of God, my fellow humans, with dignity and kindness and love and respect and get it the other way around. So my theology, um, much like me, is quite simple. <laughs> my theology is make love your aim. And everything else can flow from that, but make love your aim. There's an, there's an economy to the kingdom of heaven. And in that economy, I believe that people are more important than getting it right all of the time. And the church gets a bad press a lot of the time. And a lot of the time, I think we deserve it. Um, 
because, because actually, actually how many people their experience of the church is predominantly one of judgment rather than inclusion. I'm aware that even this evening there will be people here tonight who you have been badly hurt by past experiences with the church. Where you have been made to feel unloved, unwelcome or excluded because of your opinions, because of your past, because of your lifestyle, because of maybe even your politics. Actually, even if you haven't been made to feel excluded, there'll be other people who are sitting here thinking, gosh, these Christians are all so nice and welcoming, but if they really knew me, if they really knew what was going on in here and in here, they would say, get out. I wouldn't be welcome. And maybe it's, it's not my place, but I'm sorry. I'm really so sorry if that has been your experience at church, if you've been made to feel unloved or excluded by a church. And the reason I say that is because that is not what Jesus thinks about you. So why is it that so often the church doesn't live up to that simple teaching of Jesus? Do not judge. Why is it so contested within church? And part of the reason for this, I think, is that judging people, um, at least on the surface level, it can make us feel better about ourselves. Um, we reassure ourselves that we're living in the right way by pointing to someone else and saying, gosh, they're living in a terrible way. Aren't I doing it well? And it's not that it necessarily starts out as us wanting to, to push people away and exclude people, but actually we just want to reassure ourselves that we're living well. You see, a lot of the Christian life involves um, kind of living up to an, uh, kind of an agreed ethical code that's set out in the Bible, and, and before we know it, because we want to please God, we, we begin to obsess about the law. And we want to make sure that we're doing the right things. And we want to make sure that we're not doing the wrong things. And, and actually, there's a way of describing that kind of living, and it's, it's called legalism. And under a legalistic viewpoint, we essentially say that Christianity is a system of rules and regulations. And we must follow these rules if we want to be saved, if we want to grow spiritually. Uh, and that sort of legalism will always lead us to judge others. And we start to say, well, well aren't I doing well? And in doing that, we, we start pushing further and further and further away from the other people around us. And then the problem with that viewpoint, the problem with legalism is it puts us right at the centre. Uh, the centre of our salvation is, is us. I must do this in order to be saved. And the problem with that for me is that I'm not good enough to do that. I know that I, I mean, I can't save money at the end of the month, let alone save my soul. I know that I need Jesus to save me. And the amazing thing is that the Bible says that's okay. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, the Lord said this to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The grace of God is sufficient for you because his power is made perfect in weakness. 
But the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that it isn't legalism and rules and regulations. It's about his grace. It's about his grace for us. And too often people hear what the church is against. And let's start telling them what the church is for. It's about his grace. It's about his power which rests on us and is made perfect and is most perfectly revealed in our own weaknesses when we are at the end of ourselves. That is when his power is made perfect. Under legalism, we feel broken and excluded because of judgment. Under grace. You see, grace acknowledges that exact same brokenness, but says that is when the grace of God, when the power and beauty and majesty of King Jesus is most perfectly seen in our brokenness. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. When, when I was a, a child, child I, was, I was actually quite a clever child. Um, I knew that if I was out with my parents and I wanted something, my mum was useless because dad had the wallet. And I knew that if we were on a day trip and we were approaching the end and we were approaching a gift shop and I wanted a gift and it was dad I had to persuade. And... Actually, I was really clever because irrespective of how feral I had been that day, I would start to really behave as we approached the gift shop. Uh, and actually, this would go through the roof when we were on holiday. You know, we were on the beach and it's time to go. And I had a tantrum, I had a full-scale tantrum about the fact it's time to go. Uh, and then we're walking back to the car and they suddenly, oh, Dad, would you like me to carry the picnic blanket? And then, and then we, we get, get back, back to the car park. park. It's, oh, Daddy, wouldn't it be lovely if... if what, what, a, what a fantastic family moment it would be if we all had an ice cream on the way home. Because I thought I had to persuade Dad to open his wallet. And he was Scottish and it wasn't easy. Um, but what I didn't realise, what I didn't realise was that I was pushing on an open door. I didn't realise that my dad wanted to treat us. Why? Because he loved us. He wanted to spoil us. He wanted to, 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 to take delight in us because he made us. He was our father. I never had to persuade him. Actually, it's a bit like that with God's grace. We receive his love. We receive his forgiveness freely. It's not anything that we have to earn. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. It is by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And it's not from God. It's not from, sorry, it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. We are saved by the grace of God. Not anything that we do. And because of that we can't boast. But also because of that, we don't have to go through life trying to earn God's favour. It's his gift. He gives it freely. And then the problem is when we start living according to legalism, it kills us. It absolutely kills us. And then when we start to judge people, we start killing them too. But grace, grace for us, grace for our lives, it brings life. 
Last, Last week, week, Nigel, Nigel preached fantastically about um, Pentecost, about the baptism in the Spirit and the birth of the early church. But do you know something that's really, really interesting about Pentecost? It is in the book of Exodus, when the law is given, on Mount Sinai, it says 3,000 people died the day the law was given. But do you know what happened the day the Spirit was given? It says 3,000 people were saved. So 3,000 people came to life. Law leads to death, but the Spirit gives life. This is what Paul says at the end of Romans 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to the law of sin and death? And then you turn the page and he starts Romans 8 by saying, Therefore there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of a sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What we were powerless to do for ourselves, God has done for us and it's a work of grace. And you see, the truth is, that's the only way to life. It's the only way it works. That's the beauty of the gospel, because we could never do it ourselves. I know some of you will have heard me say this before. It's one of my favorite Bible verses in the whole of the Bible. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, summarizes the whole gospel in a single sentence. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only in him. It's only ever in him that we have a chance of being made right. There's nothing that we could do. It's only in him. And as Christians, the Bible has a lot to say about how we live. Grace isn't this free pass. But everything we do, everything, the way that we live, it's a response to grace. It's not that we're trying to earn his love and his forgiveness. It's that we, we're so struck by the grace of God that we just have to live differently. You see, the fruit of grace is a transformed life. And if we try and turn that on its head, and if we build a faith on legalism, there is no fruit, there is only death. And unless we remind ourselves of that regularly as a church, we so easily slip into the habits of legalism and judgment. And actually the really awful thing about judgment is that when we start judging people, actually we start denying the work of grace in our own life. The evil of judgment is it leaves no room for grace. You know, that's what makes sense of the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? I don't think the climactic point in that, in that story is, is the father running to the son. Otherwise, you know, everyone knows that the, the, the punchline of a story comes at the very end. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, when the youngest younger son is asked for his inheritance early, he leaves his family, he squanders the money, he has nothing left, and he comes back to his father, hoping that he might become a slave in his father's house. The father runs to him and greets him and throws a party and sacrifices the fattened calf. But what happens is that the older son gets angry and he refuses to go into the party. There's the judgment. And he says, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. There's the legalism, there's trying to earn it. But this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. There's the judgment. And the father says to the son, everything I have is yours. Not everything will be yours. Everything is yours. It's always been yours. There's the grace. It never had to be earned. And the, the problem with legalism and judgment is it leaves us no room to rejoice when other people receive the grace of God. Judgment only leads to death. Grace is the only way to life. So, very quickly, if do not judge is what we're supposed to not do, what should we do instead? Because it's all very well and good hearing Jesus' teaching, but what's the point if we don't actually put it into practice? Part of the reason that judgment is so damaging in the church is it excludes people. When we, when we judge people and we other them, what we really say is, is you're not welcome here. You don't belong here. You're different to us. And I think it pains Jesus to see his church do that. So what do we do instead? We move in the opposite spirit. If judgment is to do with exclusion, we push everything that we have towards inclusion. Too often the church stands at a distance from the people it serves to exist. And I'm tired of hearing people who say that they're not welcome in the church. Because it's nonsense. You don't have to wait until you're healthy to go to hospital. They treat you when you're ill. You don't have to wait to get it figured out to belong in church. We're all invited in and it's on us to love people as they come. Church is supposed to be a place of belonging. The invitation to church isn't to come in, it is to come home. And as people come in and they find a place of belonging, as they find a loving community, that's, that's when they start to experience the grace of God. And then we see life transformed, but it is that way around. It's always that way around. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. That is why we exist. That's why Woodland Church is here. We are here to be good news to the city of Bristol. And we are here to love people, not to judge them. Everybody is welcome in the woodlands. And that doesn't mean we're relaxed about sin. As Christians, we should have a strong moral compass. It was because of sin that Jesus died. We should hate sin, but we have to love. Love. Not tolerate. Love sinners. Why? Because I am a sinner. Jesus died for my sin just as much as anybody else's. I am just as broken as anybody else. Do not judge, says Jesus, because we are invited into life. In the kingdom of God, mercy will always triumph over judgment. And so as we go back into worship in a moment and Matt and the band come back up, We'll, we'll give praise to God for that, but 
one, one of the things, things that we place, place a really high, high standard on at uh, Woodlands, one of the things, things we're really committed to is praying for people. And actually, if you're here tonight and you have any prayer need whatsoever, we would love to pray with you. But I particularly, if, if, you're, if you're here this evening and, and your past, your history has involved any sense of judgment from the church, if you're carrying hurt and pain about the way that you've been treated or made to feel by Christians or the church, I really believe that God wants to set you free from that tonight. And if you come forward and you speak to someone in the prayer team, they will pray for you with no judgment. And they'll just pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. But the Father wants to remind us again of his grace. So if that's you, do get prayer this evening, but I'll pray now as the band come back up. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word to us in Scripture. Jesus, I thank you for your grace, which is for all of us today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would rest on us now. Holy Spirit, in our hearts now, I pray that you would be cementing a fresh revelation of your grace. Jesus, would you draw people home? Amen.